I'm Noah Behrman. And I'm Jen Allen, and this is 149 Sessions. On this episode, we talk about fear. But don't be scared, it'll be cool. We hope you enjoy. Back in the sunroom. And, and yet uh, another cloudy day. You know, I think the we sun... meet on cloudy days. <laughs> or perhaps we are instigating cloudy days by the, uh, <laughs> by the dreariness topic. of our presence. I don't know. So, um, but yeah, good day to talk about fear. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe the clouds will part uh, by the time the conversation's done and we will symbolically represent some kind of uh, triumph. It's very hopeful. I, well, I try. I try. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it will. Well, so yeah, so I've been thinking we, we, uh, in a recent conversation, touched on fear in the context of doubt and uh, decided Mm. that it warrants a whole nother conversation. And uh, Mm. so I've been ruminating on that and different contexts of fear, because I think in that setting, it was largely in terms of um, fear related to uh, related to our art practices and careers and so on and how that can impact the way we approach things. And that's definitely, definitely on my mind and definitely part of it. And I started thinking, I'm sure there are plenty of smart people who have subcategorized this in far more effective and intelligent ways than I'm about to, but I started differentiating between what I don't want to call it real fear versus imagined fear, but more uh, fear that is based on a tangible and uh, real, realistically likely danger and fear that's, I mean, this is a gross oversimplification, but, uh, and fear that's based more on our symbolic um, perception of things or past experiences that are triggered by a particular situation you know mm. are, are we afraid mm. because the coyote is about to dine on our flesh <laughs> or are we afraid because the thing we saw reminds yeah. us of a thing that occurred in the past um and then there's these sort of other i don't know sub realms of things that are scary because of a. A physical danger, you know, our, uh, that we're not safe or our basic needs for health and safety are at risk versus fears that are more, and this is not to say these are not also tangible or important, mm-hmm. uh, fears that are more emotion-based, fears of having an interaction that makes us feel bad or mm-hmm. having an experience that um, leads to negative emotions or touches on existing um, self-esteem issues and so on. And uh, mm. I, I've had all of these things, of course. And uh, Not me. This, this is why you're such an expert to talk about this, Jen, because you are the uh, ironclad fearless one. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but I think that, that fear actually is it's kind of an interesting topic because it... it it kind of bleeds into everything else. I mean, it's how we, how and why we act the way we act mm. a lot of times, you know, because fear's not just um, 
obviously it's an it's a natural thing to be fearful of something like yeah if there's some animal that's going to come and you know if you're stuck in the middle of the woods and you come face to face with a bear yeah you need to be afraid like that's a natural and, instinct and that fear uh leads to a very tangible this is the main reason i make the distinction this is not to say that the other types of fear are less valid or that you need to just suck it up and get over them but mm -hmm making a decision based on the fear that the bear in the woods might maul you uh, is a very smart and necessary totally. response. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas there are these other things where, where part we have to go through these processes of undoing or dismantling fear because they are based on outdated perceptions and they're not serving us anymore. That mm -hmm. doesn't make them feel any less real. I mean, I know um, I've learned a lot both from my own uh, childhood trauma and from uh, loving others who have experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. um, those triggered responses really do feel like life and death at times. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really... Yeah. it. The even though on paper, if you describe the situation to someone else, it might sound really benign. The physiological response is yeah. as if your basic health and safety and ability to stay alive is in danger. And yeah. So, have you? Okay, I have two questions. Okay. So, right now, I want to know, like, what's your biggest fear right now? And then, second. Like that kind of fear that you're talking about that stems from childhood trauma and those responses, like where are you at with that stuff? So which one do you want to talk about first? Um, well, I'll start with the second one and go back okay. to the first one. Um, I, I feel like uh, this is... This is right now not feeling particularly afraid as we have this conversation. I can say mm -hmm. this so uh, with such a rosy outlook. Um, but when I experience those triggered responses, um, I I now see them. I do not enjoy those moments, but I see them as useful information mm -hmm. in in the sense that okay, wow, you know, this is some this is some unresolved stuff that I need to deal with because I know intellectually that this response is out of proportion to what I'm actually observing or experiencing. Mm -hmm. So, so what happens, like, if you don't mind, um, like what, what kind of physiological feelings do you get and how do you, how do you differentiate that from other fears? Um, that's a good question. I, I, for me, the physiological response tends to be a feeling in my gut, um, mm -hmm. sort of sour, clenched feeling in my stomach, uh, sort mm -hmm. of clenching in my chest, mm -hmm. uh, my breathing truncates. I sort of become very still in that sense and have to remind myself to breathe because I'm trying to sort of be um, imperceptibly still. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my, my mouth gets really dry and gummy um, it's really interesting you say that because i heard the other day that you know there's like the whole fight or flight kind of thing mm -hmm. and they say at the the person i was listening to talk about this who was some kind of doctor was saying that actually most people just it's just freeze freeze yeah that's really like and he was giving the example of like you know why do why does somebody not um 
like if a, a man and a woman are in a, like a car or something and, you know, the man goes to kiss the woman and it's an inappropriate situation and why would the woman just like sit there and just like take it, you know, like it's because it's a freeze, like that's that's a, a normal actual like thing. The fight or flight is not like most people would not fight and most people don't know how to get out of there because they're trying to like, you know, it's like a a biological thing that we just kind of have to take in the situation and figure out like what's even happening. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, and I know that with the, um, the experiences, uh, that I had that kind of, uh, led to the programming of those neural pathways, neither fight nor flight was actually an option. Mm -hmm. So freezing and kind of checking out was the, the only available survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm having done a lot of work on this. uh, I'm at least usually now able to have my intellect be, I don't know. I don't want to make it sound that dry, but my, my sort of, um, I don't know, the omniscient part of myself that is observing what's happening rather than being, uh, carried away by the emotion of the moment mm-hmm. observe and I mean it's essentially being the the healthy reassuring parent to myself and uh, observe you know there's not actually a monster under the bed mm-hmm. and knowing that knowing that um, there's this sort of fine line of not actually not not dismissing the anxiety and uh, um, devaluing it or uh, um, invalidating it, but mm-hmm. at the same time moving forward based on the assumption that there is no logical reason to think there is actually a monster under the bed mm-hmm. and that reassurance is important, but um, interrupting what I'm doing in order to go by um, monster repellent um, Maybe I need to do that for symbolic reasons, but mm-hmm. getting sucked into thinking that that's what's happening is something I've learned to largely overcome. So, you know, there'll be a moment when I have a conversation th- where I notice that I'm getting worked up in a certain way. And sometimes I need someone from the outside to remind me to uh, of this, but I'll sort of take a breath and say, okay, you know, this is this is useful information that this is leading to this response, that this stimulus is leading to this response. Mm -hmm. Um, So my job is not to take that emotion literally. My job is to uh, comfort and nurture and uh, be patient with the part of me that had this response while remaining aware that what's actually happening is not actually a dangerous situation. so, you know, that's it takes a lot of practice. To it do that. does take a lot of practice. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I've done, I'm grateful that I've had the opportunity to do enough work and have enough guidance in doing so and support to, to get there. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and for me, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make it feel less crappy in the moment, but at least if I, at least if I'm not fully buying into it as, uh, an, accurate depiction of what's happening in the present moment. I'm not likely to make decisions or actions that will escalate either the situation or my 
sense of being threatened by it. You know, mm -hmm. sort of like, okay, well, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, we were talking before we started rolling tape about uh, the migraine you had yesterday. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like at a certain point, you have to put yourself in a position where you can let the thing pass and eventually get on with your life. And you can't just flip a switch and make that happen instantaneously, yeah. but you can at least make choices that will um, lead to fewer bad things happening along the way. Mm -hmm. You know, So I, yeah. I still experience these things, but I'm not consumed by them in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, to answer your question about what is my biggest fear right now, yeah. um, it's been, I was thinking about that on the way up, actually, so good timing <laughs> asking. It's been an interesting shift for me. Um, I mean, I've spent most of, because I am a physically fragile person, uh, there's always been a lot of fear of being at physical risk. So you combine the childhood trauma with um, having a fragile body, and there's anything relating to not being in control of my body and its um, mm. functionality, I guess, uh, is uh, sort of this um, patchwork of, um, of fears surrounding that. So there's yeah. various situations in which, you know, like a large animal coming towards me or uh, a threatening human uh, or what mm. I might perceive to be a threatening human where I perceive my uh, physical safety to be at risk. But that actually is not my, I've, I mean, that's, that's a real fear. You know, mm -hmm. if someone, if a, a hulking muscular person is leaning in and about to uh, give me a shoulder crushing pat on the back. Um, that's actually a pretty legitimate thing to be afraid of. And, yeah. uh, and that's an instance in which that because fear. Yes. Yeah. 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 Just and that's remind people right, about that, because yeah. of my connective tissue disorder. And, yeah. uh, and so that leads me to take preemptive steps to sort of anticipate when something like that might happen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, but I think my biggest fear now, which is more of an existential fear in a way than a, uh, a personal safety fear is, of regret so mm. um like living a life where you have regret or just situation to situation or i guess it's i guess both mm. uh, i mean i i guess um it sort of ties in with uh brene brown talks about the distinction between shame and guilt mm. and uh um and you know we don't have to get deep into the woods of that but i don't really experience shame as an adult, I mean, I've got all kinds of, uh, you know, unraveling of, of past um, feelings of shame that don't belong there, of course. But uh, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I only in the present moment feel ashamed generally if I know that I have acted poorly and had the resources not to, mm. if that makes sense. And yeah. so um, I think it makes sense. And uh, yeah. And so my, if I think about like, what am I, what is the outcome I'm most afraid of? I've, I've worked on this a lot. I mean, I think about mortality a lot and I think about the fragility of human existence a lot, both mine and those of the people I care about and of our planet. And so those are all things that are of concern, but I try to at least 
I don't know, engage in mental practices that uh, lead me to a place of some acceptance and tranquility in that regard, you know, a sense that Mm -hmm. everybody I care about will die and Mm -hmm. uh, some will in some cases it will be before I do and in some cases it'll be after and in some cases it'll be through natural and peaceful means and in some cases it won't Mm -hmm. and um I don't I don't like this maybe but I don't want to live in a state of clenched anxiety over something that is just reality yeah and uh so what can I control right so what can I control what I can control is that I live my life in a way that's consistent with what I'm trying to do or be in the finite time that I have on this planet. And Mm -hmm. uh, that sense, um, for a few years now, I've kind of used as my, um, my rubric of measurement for how good I'm, how good a job I'm doing of making decisions Will I regret this uh, if I if I have the luxury of reflecting back on my life at the end, um, which not everybody does? Um, will I look back with regret on this decision? And mm-hmm. if the answer is yes, I will regret it, then I need to immediately change course. And if the answer is no, you'll be glad you did that, then keep doing what I'm doing. And if the answer is I'm really not going to care then I just don't spend too much time agonizing over it and I either do it or I don't do it and Mm -hmm. uh, get on with my life. Um, And that's been, uh, that's been a very useful um, sort of abstract exercise. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then uh, I won't get too specific here, but I had an experience a few years ago where I actually spent time with someone who on their deathbed was expressing those kinds of regrets, you know, Mm -hmm. too late to do anything about it. But, uh, do you think is really like, like you're able to ever totally get away from that? I mean, I like your, your rubric. Um, but I find myself, and I definitely think as, as I've come to this point in my life, I'm in my early forties, like I'm, you know, I've lived a long life comparatively Mm -hmm. Hopefully still have many more years to go, Um, but that I'm still always learning what that point is of like, you know, you said, is this going to be something I'm going to regret, you know, like, and and sometimes I'm not sure, you know, like, because sometimes you make the decision and then all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't have made that decision. Well, so here, here's how I define regret. I'm fairly specific about it. And I do think this is controllable. Um, regret to me, not everybody has to have this relationship with regret is you knew what you needed to do and you did you either didn't do it or you did something else. And, uh, so I've had instances in which I could have gone left or I could have gone right. I went left and I had a car accident. Um, to me, that's not something to be regretful about. It's something because I made what, with the information I had at the time, was a either a good or completely benign decision. Mm-hmm. So I don't look back with regret at choices that I made that ended poorly, but were were the best decisions I could make with the information I had at the time. Yeah. You know, there are things where I'm like, wow, I wish I had done that. Um, or 
I now realize that that was an opportunity to connect with this person who is now famous and inaccessible and I blew it. Um, but I don't, I, I, at least philosophically, I don't generally get caught up in regret or don't, uh, you know, it's more of a self-indulgent thing if I go there, mm-hmm. if it's something where like, well, but at the time I, at the time this was not something that I identified as important or at the time this seemed like a good decision and mm-hmm. only with the outcome or with the information that subsequently became available, do I reframe that? Right. Whereas if I'm like, wow, I really need to do this thing and I shrink away from it and then to me, that's cause for regret regardless of the outcome. If mm-hmm. I were to drive drunk, I should regret that and I should be ashamed of that mm-hmm. even if I got home safely and nobody got hurt. Like the outcome doesn't dictate the regret. It's the integrity that mm-hmm. does. So yeah. in that sense... Well, and, and also like, I mean, kind of getting back to the fear, like sometimes though, I don't know, like for me, I still, even though I, I have similar feelings as you, I don't have like a specific rubric like that, but like there are definite conversations that go on in my head in that same kind of way. But that like, you know, I'm still not always aware of the fear that guides my decisions. Mm. You know what I mean? And like, um, I, I guess I'm just, I'm just trying to get at like, you know, I, I see what you're saying that you know, you make the best decisions that you can at that point in time. Um, But sometimes those will still be, you know, maybe you're past that. I'm not past that. Like, I'm not past, like, my fears still guiding my decisions. Sure. No, I, and Um, I think I tend to And that can be regretful. Like, I can be regretful about that little component of it. Like, I didn't, I didn't trust myself or I didn't trust that, you know, um, and I guess hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, you can always see, you know, that the situation is better after you've gone through it. But, um, I think that's the power of fear, you know, that, yeah. that, um, even being really self-aware that it can sometimes sneak in there and just kind of cause, at least for me to, to cause me to make decisions that I'm like, did I really want to make that decision? At that moment in time, I thought it was the best decision, you yeah. know, but like, and I, I feel like those, those situations are much less at this point in my That's life good. for sure. Um, yeah, I find, and, I find that, uh, I, I've learned to be fairly forgiving mm-hmm. in that way. You know, that I was yeah. mentioning like missed opportunities. Uh, I can think of various instances in which, um, I let, fear of humiliation or rejection or whatever guide my um, passivity in pursuing a relationship with someone who I admired musically when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say, I mean, there's a sense of um, awareness of missed opportunity and Mm -hmm. I don't feel great about that. I generally don't regret those things, even if I didn't perceive like, I really, really want to do this, but I'm too afraid. So I'm not going to make the phone call, Mm -hmm. but I can see that that's, I can see in hindsight, that's what was happening. And that was the best I could do at the time, you know, at at my, at that point in my trajectory of healing and self-awareness and so Mm -hmm. on, that was the best I could do. You know, I guess what I'm talking about is, I mean, it's hard to make the distinction sometimes, but, uh, that, like, okay, I know, 
I know what I need to do right now and then I don't do it. Mm -hmm. Or I know that I shouldn't do this right now and I do it anyway and hope I'll get away with it. You know, those are the things where, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because I'm not a religious person, Mm -hmm. but I do think, I I use the word uh, God and I hope this is okay to the um, religious among our listeners. Um, uh, I use the word God as it's okay. You can, you can say what you say. (laughs) It's your life. (laughs) Fair enough. But I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure what God means to me as a singular entity, but that's sort of my, uh, one syllable symbol for higher truth and Mm. love and, uh, um, universal, goodness the for the forces the spirits mm. the the um the universe essentially yeah. and so um will i in clear conscience be able to um meet god when it's all over whatever that means and uh and feel like i did a i did a decent job of being the person who i was supposed to be mm-hmm. you know and that the idea of meeting my maker, knowing that I blew it without ever adequately atoning for it while I was here. I've, I've seen people, I've seen people in the days before meeting their maker who didn't tie up their loose ends and it has only reinforced that, um, that primal fear in Mm. me of essentially, (laughs) Uh, going, I mean, and again, I don't, I don't have this Judeo-Christian vision of a judgment day where someone in a white robe is uh, uh, pointing a judgmental mm-hmm. finger down at me um, and sending me off to. I know neither, and I. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people do, so I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that that yeah. sort of abstract sense of. Um, but you meeting... said that you feel like you will be. You have to atone for the things. Well, I guess it's more that I, I, if if I if I mess up on this earth, did I take responsibility for it and do what I reasonably could to to make up for it? If I if I hurt somebody, Mm -hmm. did I did I try to fix it to a level commensurate with how? important for lack of a better term it was you know mm. did, did I am, am I leaving loose ends that it will be someone else's job to clean up or tie up or am I trying to live my life in a way that I feel is responsible and so mm. that's a way in which and I guess the reason this is relevant to a discussion of fear is I find that that fear perversely has um, I don't know if liberated is the word, but it's, um, I'll use it for lack of a better word, has liberated me from certain other professional and interpersonal slash social fears because my fear of regret is greater than my fear of whatever scary thing lies behind the thing that I'm trying to get mm. myself to do. So really regret is the, is the, is kind of a, the fear motivator for you. Yeah. 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 And so in that mm. sense, Oh wow. You know, putting this vulnerable music out there and possibly getting a response that makes me feel bad. 
I'm not going to say that isn't scary, but the idea of um, lying in my deathbed and wondering why I never did the thing mm-hmm. is greater. And so, you know, if uh, if socializing with the socializing with that person may be scary, but if that's the person who's going to protect you from the coyote that's about to maul you, yeah. then it is presumably less scary. Right, right. And uh, um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think I do that too. I think that's a good motivator for me, you know, especially in music, I'd say, specifically, putting myself out there in that way or, or in, in any, well, I'd say anything really. Yeah, I'm starting to think of more ideas, but that's that's definitely uh, something I can relate to. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to live uh, or I don't want to die knowing that I held back on things because, especially because of fear. You know, I've done so many things in my life up to this point that I've made decisions out of fear, you know, especially Mm -hmm. when I was much younger. Um, I grew up in a very fearful family. So like that meaning they they were afraid or meaning they say my mom. But uh, yeah, my mom was just afraid. of. It's not that she told you you should be afraid. She sort of modeled. She modeled fear like and, and I loved my mom, but she just definitely, you know, from you know, don't go out by, like, she didn't want me to go to Turkey. I went to Turkey in oh, college because yeah. she's like, oh, something terrible is going to happen to you, you know, like, or I uh, don't, um, you can't drive when it's raining outside. My mom had this big thing about if it was raining or snowing or you can't go driving, which obviously if it's a blizzard or whatever, you shouldn't, mm-hmm. but like, she didn't want me to, if it was raining, she was deathly afraid. Like, like that was... You know, it was just, it was everything, you know, there was always like, as you said, a boogeyman about to pop out. And I think it probably was guided by a lot of her, um, things that happened in her life, Mm -hmm. but, uh, definitely rubbed off on me. And as I was growing up, I I had to kind of face those realities of like, am I just going to be afraid of everything or am I going to make those decisions, you know? Um, am I going to be regretful that I didn't do something because of that fear? Because again, it's warranted sometimes you have to have that. It's a natural response, but like being able to balance, um, you know, what's, what's a good fear and what's not a good fear. I think is a, it's a really good, healthy, mature thing to be able to Absolutely. do. Sure. And that doesn't mean you don't experience right. the, the sensation of fear, but you know, mm. I mean, I, one thing that was interesting about my mother, who was also a very, uh, fearful person and who let that guide a lot of her decisions or, or inactions. Um, it was not, I mean, I was going to say it wasn't super logical. And what I mean by that was it was not internally consistent in the sense that like the, the thing that would scare her uh, this much might actually objectively be less dangerous than this other thing that was enough beyond her consciousness that or familiar enough that um, that uh, it didn't seem scary so mm-hmm. me spending time in new york scared her more which is weird because she grew up part of her life in new york but she it scared me more than me hanging out at night in new haven which objectively speaking was probably more dangerous mm-hmm. um but things that were things that seemed scary were restricted and things that um just weren't part of the fear consciousness were not, even though they might have objectively been 
more dangerous. Well, I think that's the, that's the thing about fear is that like it's not the ones and we'll just put aside the ones like, you know, the bear mauling you. Obviously, yeah, those yeah. natural fears like should be there, you know. But I think that we listen to all fears in e- equal status. Hmm. Like we think they're all the bear mauling us, but right. at least as a child, that's how I thought. Every fear that I ever had should be listened to and obeyed, you know, equally. And I've had to, you know, learn as going through therapy or sure. just, you know, reading and kind of becoming more self-aware that that's not the truth, that our thoughts are just thoughts and that, uh, or our feelings are just feelings. And that doesn't, that's not to belittle what they are. Uh It's just to pay attention to what they are and then acknowledge and say, well, what is the meaning? Like what's, that's just what they're there for. They're there for us to look at and say, well, why Mm -hmm. is this here? You know, you know, like, why am I having this, this feeling right now? And not that like, this is not the easy solution to everything, like just to acknowledge it. And then you can, you know, because right, right. it's not that black and white, but um, that idea that you can have a feeling and it doesn't have to just be obeyed at that moment right. in time is a huge that was a huge thing for me to come to terms with, you know, to not be reactive in that way and just kind of think and say, it's okay to have this emotion at this point in time. And, and let's kind of dig a little deeper as to why it's there. Right. Right. And that's, that's the hard work. The hard work is to kind of be able to say, well, why is that feeling um, coming up or why is Mm -hmm. um, why is that fear becoming, more prevalent or whatever. Um, cause honestly, I've done a lot of work with that, but I still have lots of fears and still will be paralyzed by fears. Sure. Um, that I, I'm not paralyzed to a point where I don't ever do anything about it, but it takes me still, it might take me some time, mm-hmm. you know, and having to figure out why that fear is there. And, you know, I tell my students this all the time that I was like the, the most fearful kid probably because of how I was raised, but just like when I would get on stage as a performer, (laughs) as like, you know, early high school, middle school, high school, like I had these intense fears of being in front of people and performing to the point where I would shake, you know, and so I would, I was a cellist most of the time. So your vibrato was extra intense. uh... (laughs) Very natural vibrato. with the bow, you know, um, but it would like, and I've never seen a child have that much fear that I had at that point in time. Doesn't mean that they don't, they didn't have that outward time. Didn't manifest in that way. And and so I'm always like, you guys are going to be fine. So even if you have fear, you know, but like that amount of fear and that I can actually go and play nowadays is like, to me, this enormous miracle of sorts, because like I, I was I, if you had seen me then and now, or even if you had seen me then, you'd be like, she will never play music, you know? So, um, but those fears, uh, can, can come out in, in ways that you can't control. Like, so at that point in time, the physical, you know, manifestation of that was just something I couldn't, I couldn't control, you know, physically like shaking, you know, like there was nobody who could have told me anything or given me any mind games that would have gotten me out of that. So did you you learn physical strategies to deal with physical symptoms or is what made it manageable just that you did the introspective or therapeutic work of identifying the fear and 
healing and soothing those parts along the way. I mean, it was partially that, but I think just doing it a lot. Uh It was kind of like the immersion therapy for me. Right, that's interesting. I was like, I want to do this, and if I want to do this, then I definitely have to, you know, just do it. Right. And the more I did it, it became easier and easier. Right. So for me, it was it was a lot of that, and then some of the introspective stuff too. But I, if I got nervous today, you know, there's no way I can, you know talk myself out of it. I remember an audition I had um, a few years back <laughs> and I know people who were at that audition so hopefully they won't listen to this but <laughs> um, like they auditioned me. I became friends with them after that, uh-huh. that fact but um, it was I was so intimidated by the level of people that were there. There were about I think eight of us that were, were chosen to audition uh-huh. and like in my mind I did not see myself worthy enough to be auditioning, you know, and hearing the other people just confirmed in me that I was not worthy enough to be auditioning. And, uh, and then the audition kind of went like kind of down the tubes because of that. Like I just kind of got into my head and there was no way I was ever, ever going to be able to talk myself out of that. And this is as an adult, like I was in my thirties at this time, you know, so it wasn't, um, and, and I was super embarrassed by that. I was super embarrassed by my nerves. And I was like, how, I, like, I've dealt with this before. Why am I so nervous? But I think the fear was not the audition itself. It was just this deeper thing that I'm not worthy. Like, yeah. I'm not good enough. Yeah, and yeah. then I, like, basically just imploded uh, and, and made that that reality happen oh, you know really what i mean yeah. so because the audition went so poorly that i was just like oh man and some things out of my control like music flying off the the <laughs> piano like you know oh, things man. things that were just out of my control but yeah. but some of it was just you know pure old, old nerves that i was like but it really had nothing to do with the audition itself. I think if I went there and there was nobody else there, I think I would have done a fine mm-hmm. job. But hearing everybody else warming up, I was just, I was like, they're really amazing and I'm not, you know, and kind of put myself into that position. So it's interesting what fear will um, make your mind and then physically, you know, how it kind of manipulates you. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, at a certain point, you're just so, I mean, this is, one of the things I've had to reconcile is that in those moments, even if objectively speaking, the stimulus is fairly trivial, mm-hmm. you know, it's there, there's no wild animal gnashing their teeth anywhere nearby. There's no even person uh, about to do something terrible. Right. Um, once that physiological response um, takes hold, it kind of doesn't matter. I mean, it matters on some level that your life is not in danger, but it's pretty hard to uh, perform whatever perform means to an even adequate, much less high level if your system has essentially shut down uh, in a a fear response. Right. Mm -hmm. Did I ever tell you my uh, story of the first time I played with Mark Turner? No, Um, Mark Turner. Uh, for the non-jazzbos among our listeners, uh, great saxophonist who I had become aware of as a teenager through hanging out with people who were uh, talking about how great he was, and I heard some of his recordings, recordings that he was on, and it was the spring of 1994, and 
a friend of mine got a gig at this uh, like Cajun uh, restaurant that opened up in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where I was going to college and asked me to, so he hired Mark Turner to play this gig and asked me to play piano. I was essentially part of the house band and he got different horn players for the like two or three weeks before the gig got canceled. <laughs> Although he would have probably fired me after this one, uh, um, even if it had kept going. And, um, and Mark was really nice and really supportive yeah, and nice so on. But I, and I was probably about six months shy of reaching a level of competence where I could have handled a gig like that without completely crapping the bed. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, you know, on the easy songs I was fine and on the harder songs I hung in there. And then this other uh, horn player, this trumpet player who was also very good but had a big ego uh, came up and sat in and sort of upped the ante in terms of the competitiveness mm -hmm. of how the music <laughs> was being played and the tempos and so on. And I just started to crater. And like once it, I was afraid that I would mess up and make a bad impression on this musician who I admired. And it just, it um, went south real fast. And yeah. maybe and maybe one or two tunes into this sit-in period, I, I still remember we played Thelonious Monk's Trinkle Tinkle, which is a hard tune. And there's, uh, and I kind of, lost where one was at a certain point and was sort of struggling just to be in the right place, much less play anything good. And then we played the Eternal Triangle, which is a challenging and very fast tune. Mm -hmm. And I remember I saw things go into slow motion. <laughs> and I'm I was not laughing at watching, you, I'm just knowing I understand. This. I was watching the hi-hat symbol <laughs> click and I recognized intellectually that the song was actually going by very fast <laughs> and that my one hope for hanging in there was to watch the hi-hat symbol. And I knew there was some relationship between that and where I was supposed to be, but I just couldn't, couldn't defog my brain enough to remember what it was. Yeah, and uh -uh. so... I mean, I didn't literally curl up in a fetal position under the uh, under the roads that I was playing, the keyboard that I was playing that night. But uh, uh, and then after that tune, they asked another piano player to sit in, and uh, <laughs> which he did for the remainder of the gig. And uh, yeah. and I basically wanted to go home and curl up in a fetal position, but ironically. Uh, because I didn't drive myself and my roads there, I was at the mercy of the person who drove me there who wanted to go hang out with everyone in the band at a diner afterwards. So uh -huh. I had to sit there and be in the presence of the people who I felt like I had just humiliated myself in front of for over like fries and tuna melts for the next hour. And you know and that half. nobody's and actually thinking about that. No, afterwards. Didn't care. Like, I mean, but that's the, I mean that's they might the have thought thing. I wasn't great, but it's not like they were like, oh, that jive turkey. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think those, those kinds of situations, and everybody's always like, oh, that's how you get to practice more and you get motivated. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, that's true. You know, there's a lot of it truth. It was in true, that. ultimately. Um, but once I licked my wounds. And, the uh, one thing about music that, like, especially jazz and improvisation, is that you want to get to a place of not worrying and not thinking about the situation in its like physical format uh -huh. to really play, right? Sure. So that's like our objective is like to, um, it's kind of like meditating where you're not thinking about the physical anymore. You're kind of letting go and you're just right. letting it be. And <laughs> you can't do that when you're like, 
intimidated or and and that's such a culture that like sure. especially jazz has i'm not sure about other you know um forms of music but there's this intimidation factor that um I, not everybody ascribes to but a lot of people ascribe to and like that never worked with my personality. Right. You know, so those situations, that situation you described, I've had many of those. It wasn't like one, so I can't even remember all of them <laughs> that happened to me like that. Because as soon as I felt intimidated, like in that audition I had, right. it just, you know, I just, you know, it's done. You know, I can't even, I can't even think that I might even want to get to that place of relaxing. And like, it's not anybody else's job to make me feel relaxed. Like I'm not, I'm not putting this on anybody else, but you know, it's just taken me a lot more, a lot more effort to like, you know, play with people I feel comfortable with, play with people I I know who are not going to do that, you know? And, you know, if I do play with people like that, playing the mind game of like, they don't give a crap about me, this is fine. In a good you know, way. In a like good they're, way. They're, like they're, they're, not, they're not being hypercritical. Exactly. And, uh, like, and just trying to, you know, uh, walk through it. So maybe that's more about, you know, I think a lot of people who can just be in any situation, they don't have those those fears. But I definitely have those yeah, fears. Yeah, I mean, there's, so. a, there's a perverse... Uh, um, and I don't know because I don't inhabit those people's consciousnesses. There's a, there's a mm-hmm. uh, you know that's a case where maybe ignorance is bliss, where if right. you don't have that response. And I had experienced many times before that, and have experienced many times since, being somewhat impaired by fear. You mm-hmm. know, having my my body stiffen up in a way where I can't execute things as smoothly, or where m- my ability to listen is impaired. Um, but I had never experienced a full-on in-public meltdown like, like that, that before. Yeah. And, you know, I, there's no uh, recorded documentation, so it's possible that it just sounded that like I was laying out <laughs> for artistic reasons and it didn't yeah. even matter. But, yeah. um, but, you know, it was actually a kind of key um, moment in my development in the sense that I was like, okay, well, that was... If, if this is the humiliating outcome of me getting an opportunity like this, should I become a philosophy major and <laughs> do something else? Yeah. And by the end of the weekend, I was like, no, no, I just need to practice more and yeah. take my lumps. And, uh, but yeah, it was just, it was interesting how the fear, you know, at this point, I feel like my sort of, uh, executive functioning is such that if I'm in a situation like that, I'm like, okay, take a deep breath this is really not that consequential. The, the, the worst thing that could happen here, aside from the roof caving in or whatever, the, the worst thing that can happen directly related to what you're fearing is really not bad enough to justify this degree of um, agita. So mm-hmm. let's make a mental note of what inner work we need to do that is that we're being alerted to by this moment, but otherwise... Um, just breathe through it. and uh... You know, there's, I think there's some things in those fears, like that specific fear or the one I, I fear uh, was explaining as well, yeah. like that those, there's something very biological too in those, even though it's not directly like a, a bear, like attacking us, it is um, maybe it has to do with the whole like tribe, you know, things that go back to when we were like, 
you know, the beginning of time where we had to belong and we had mm-hmm. to feel, you know, we can sense who's at the the top of the food chain and who's not. And like, we want to be in good, good standing with those right. people. And like, so I, I think that those, those are natural tendencies that we don't actually need anymore because right. I can exist. Maladaptive without... <laughs> defenses, we might call them. Yes. Right? Like I don't, I don't need that anymore, but I can, I can see why, why we still have them, you know? Um, yeah. To me, it's, it's less about, uh, slaying those fears and more about um uh keeping them in perspective not Mm -hmm. not obeying the messages we are getting from from those impulses and taking them at face value Mm -hmm. so what what uh i haven't asked you jen what your most um pervasive or primal fear Mm -hmm. is i think it's probably around those those same things um you know my mine probably has been since the beginning of my time um, till this point. It's just feeling accepted. Mm. And I think those are really basic yeah. things. You know, I don't think that that um, would be news to anybody about. <laughs> I'm sure everybody has that. Um, well, but um, oh, but for me, I, I feel, uh, you know, I read this book called Loving What Is um, mm. recently, like last year or something. And it was really mind opening to me in terms of that we tell ourselves stories because of the fears Mm -hmm. that we have. I think the woman gave an example. This is not a fear-based story, but just, you know, in general, like we make decisions, um, without knowledge of the whole story, Sure, you know, and her, the story she said, she was talking about was that she went into this restroom and she saw this lady coming out of the stall and she was going to wash her hands. And she went into the stall that she went into after, and the toilet seat was all wet. And she was like, that's disgusting. How could this woman do that? How did she even do that? You know? And then, um, and she started judging this woman on, on all this stuff. And then she was like, Oh, maybe that wasn't even a woman. Maybe it was a man dressed as a woman. And she's just, she's just telling her story herself story after story about how disgusting this is because the seat was all wet. Right. And she gets done and she flushes the toilet and all of a sudden all this water sprays out of the toilet (laughs) onto the seat. And she's like, oh my gosh, like I just spent this whole time telling myself stories about this woman that were not true. It's just yep. the toilet is just like spraying yep. up all over the place. Anyway, yep. that is that to me was like, we do that so much. We make stories up because we want to, I don't know. Well, make sense you know, of the world. Make sense of the world for sure. And I think that that happens a lot of times for me with my fears. You know, like I'll tell myself, you know, I'm feeling, uh, you know, afraid to, you know, I, I recorded an album last October and I haven't taken any steps to put it out because <laughs> I'm just like, I have all these fears. I'm like, nobody's going to like it. It's just going to bomb, you know, and, and, uh, like, what what am I like? What's the determination of this? You know, like, do I have to hope that it gets four stars and downbeat, mm. or do I have to, you know, like, uh, could I get one star and downbeat and still be happy with the album? You know, like, those are really the kinds of fears that I'm facing nowadays. So not life and death yeah. <laughs> things, but just like my own value, my own uh, fears of being accepted. Um, which I know every artist has, and I know that most of them won't talk about it, which is, 
is also frustrating to me um, because I I feel alone in that. I, I feel like we don't talk about because so many people those. are sort of fronting about yeah. being confident and in maybe that way. it's just you know uh, or, you know but I'd be I'd be happy to sit down and talk with anybody about that stuff knowing that like I'm very fully aware of my skill level like I think um, you know I'm not living in a delusional place where I'm like you know I have the technique of Benny Green or something like I don't like I and I I'm not even trying to but like trying to be okay with where I am and and this music I make and um that that to me is my biggest fear right now which is it's kind of I feel very vulnerable sharing this thank you thank you <laughs> but, for being uh, you know being that's kind of my it. one of my biggest fears it's not my only fear I have fears that I'm messing my children up in my parenting and like but they're all the fears I have have to do with like where I'm at, at this stage of life um specifically interesting so. well you know I think if you had asked me I don't know 15 years ago um even though I experienced that fear of not being not belonging or not being accepted or whatever, uh, I would say, ah, you know, that's like, uh, that's, I, I would, I don't know if I would have been dismissive and snarky about it, but I would not have perceived that to be a really deep thing. I would, I, you know, it's sort of like, oh, you know, like who cares what others think and yeah. so on. And I think there's a lot of ways in which it's useful to have that perspective. But I think I, I've grown to understand a lot more how primal, as you were saying, that sense of belonging or fear of not belonging mm -hmm. is and how many situations there are, especially for young people, especially for young people experiencing any kind of upheaval, how that how consequential that is mm -hmm. how your basic health and safety uh, never mind emotional well-being how much that depends on the degree to which you belong and through mm -hmm. that belonging are getting your needs met right and, and uh, i and i know that those feelings that i have don't even really fully just come from music you know right. like these feelings i have come from like me being a child and having that feeling yeah. and like that that stuff so it doesn't even matter if like you know somebody comes up to me and is like oh i love your music like it that doesn't even it doesn't even change the way i feel about it you know what i mean like because it's such a core it's uh, a thing. core feeling yeah so it's not like so i don't say this and put this out there so that people are like well i love your stuff you know like that right. that that actually doesn't affect me like yeah. for me my biggest fear you should is still praise jen by the way even if it doesn't uh, completely <laughs> yes, undo please this do pattern, that. <laughs> no but i'm just saying that it does affect me it's very kind when people say that and i do do like that but, but it I'm doesn't just, it doesn't obliterate that pattern it doesn't obliterate the pattern no it definitely and so my biggest fears are things that i want to conquer within myself mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it it's like not we're very much on the same page about mm -hmm. that it's sort of less about a thing that can happen and more about like can we overcome and be liberated by by those uh, those things that could deter us from living the lives we're supposed to live? Right. No. Exactly. That's that's kind of my everyday struggle, you know. And it's and it's an okay struggle because I know that it's not going to go away, hmm. yeah. you know. Um, and I've made peace with that, but that I have to kind of be 
in tune with it, yeah. you know, and in tune with like, well, what am I doing? What choices am I making today yeah. that will um, affect tomorrow? So that's that's well, and I, I feel like it's sort of a sacred opportunity to be able to wrestle with those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, not everybody and, gets to. So no, and and I, I feel I feel I mean I. As much as I fantasize about waving a wand and having all the baggage just melt away, I feel grateful to be able to take on that mm-hmm. big picture task in this lifetime. Totally. Yeah. Because we could be totally oblivious to it and just live in or, pain or, or, or not have a... self-medicating our yeah. way to avoidance of it or any yeah. number of other... And uh, not that there's any judgment in that. Like, no, because no. like everybody has to figure out how to deal with those sure and i guess that's why i put it in terms of gratitude i I, for whatever reasons i have developed and been gifted with the infrastructure that allows me to face that stuff and i feel very privileged yeah well i think i think lots of people can have that opportunity it's just choosing to or not you know i don't know it's Anyway, fears are monsters in a way. (laughs) They are monsters, even if they're not like real monsters that live under your bed. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you got to face them a little bit. Okay. Mm. Thanks, Jen. Yeah, thanks, Noah.